0: Welcome to Nutrition Assessment. In this episode, we have the audio-only portion of class from today, Monday, December 6th, 2021. And in this one, we just sort of introduce some important concepts around disability and health and healthcare. This is a topic that um, could not possibly be covered in one hour yet again. Um, but truly, t- to have a disability is any of a myriad of possible things. So again, in this one, we're just talking about some of the words that we use, how to choose our words wisely when working with disabled um, populations, and just some things to keep in mind as you move forward with this particular group. And with that, this will be the last episode for the fall 2021 semester. If you've made it this far, or if you found the podcast, or for whatever reason you are listening, um, thanks. I really appreciate it. I, I really appreciate that this has been um, a good use of your time. And I'm, I'm thrilled that if, if you've made it this far, that it's probably been helpful to you. So uh, with that, reach out anytime with questions. And as always, take care. All right, today's Did You Know? Did you know Undraw.co has fabulous free clip art? It's the coolest thing. So you go to undraw.co and you can search, and what you can do is there's a little color icon. You can click on the color icon, and the drop-down appears, and you can change the like theme color, and it just automatically changes all of the clipart to fit that color. So if you have a color scheme you're trying to match, say the Ohio State University official scarlet, the hexadecimal code for scarlet at Ohio State is BB0000. Yes, I have that memorized because I'm that kind of nerd on top of every other other kind of nerd. Um, So yeah, they have really great stuff. So if you're putting together a presentation and you need copyright-free or um, Creative Commons licensed clip art, you can go to undraw.co and search, I mean, thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of things, and then it's really easy to change the colors. So I just thought that was fun. You'll never guess why I pulled these particular pieces of clip art for today's talk on disability. (coughs) So disability this is another topic that is new to the curriculum this year that uh should have been here before but here we are um the trick with competencies around disability i have spent a fair amount of time not nearly enough but a fair amount of time trying to figure out what exactly i should tell you in the next 55 minutes about disability (laughs) because i was able to find paper after paper after paper call to action consensus statement we have to do a better job educating health professionals and health professional students about disability Great, I'm on board. What would you like me to tell them? Right? It was much harder to find a like, and here are the things you should tell students about disability. In part, because disability encompasses a huge number of possible conditions. Right? There's not one way to have a disability. So... um, We'll do what we can today. Um, And I do have a TED talk that I pulled in, not just because it's Monday morning of week 16 of the weirdest semester of all time. I'm still saying this, by the way. Spring 20, summer 20, fall 20, spring 21, summer 21, fall 21, each have been the weirdest semester of all time, right? It just keeps getting weirder. So I, I pulled in a TED talk, not just because I'm also exhausted, but because this person's actually a really good person to listen to on this topic. Um, and then we'll have time for discussion, I suspect, because I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm out, I don't know about you. A little history, though. <clears throat> the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, was passed in 1990. The Americans with Disabilities Act defines a disability as a mental and or physical impairment that has an effect on the individual's ability to carry out major life activities. The impairments must be substantial, adverse and long-term. All right, let's, let's, let's take a minute with this. Words create worlds, right? And this definition of disability, of disability is a deficit model. It focuses on what a person lacks, right? It focuses on an impairment. The impairment must be substantial it must be adverse and it must be long term it's got to be bad enough right this is very very much focused on what a person lacks or what they don't have never mind that it might be worth considering the environment that we're putting a person into right but we'll we'll keep talking about that i also realize 1990 feels like forever ago um but we'll hang on hang on to that thought too So the definitions here, though, they determine who is eligible for services and what services are allowed. They also affect our attitudes, our views, and our perceptions of people with disabilities and how we treat people with disabilities. So we perceive people with disabilities as, first and foremost, having a deficit. Think about all the ways that that influences how you provide care, right? I don't mean to knock this legislation though. This legislation was passed in 1990 and it has had far-reaching beneficial effects. Just keep in mind that if you use this definition of disability, you're always gonna be focused on what a person doesn't have or what they can't do. The um, Americans with Disabilities Act did things like mandate that buildings be accessible to people in wheelchairs or that sidewalks have curb cutouts so that you could use a wheelchair, right? That wasn't required prior to 1990. I realize most of you were born after 1990, right? But this was a whole thing. And if you think 1990 was a long time ago, um, I want to tell you about Julie Cochran Rogers. So Julie Cochran Rogers graduated from the Ohio State University with her bachelor's degree in 1970 and with a master's degree in 1974. She was one of the first students to attend OSU in a wheelchair in 1970. Now, bear with me, I know that was 50 years ago now, but 1970 was just 14 years before I was born, right? So it's really, I swear to you, not that long ago. I know I'm a thousand years old, but it was not that long ago. Administrators tried to dissuade her from applying because the campus was not wheelchair accessible. Julie ignored them and blazed a trail instead. Most of her speech and hearing science classes were on the third floor of Derby Hall, a building that had no elevator and 97 steps to navigate. Here's what she did. She recruited members of the Delta Chi fraternity who carried her in her wheelchair up the stairs for class every day. I promise you 1970 was not that long ago. Also, it's not that hard to look around this campus and still see buildings that are just barely accessible, right? How do you get into this room if you are in a wheelchair? Do you come in the front door? You come in the back door, okay? What if you wanna to go to the first floor of this building? Cause the back door takes you to the ground level and then you can get off at the first floor rear but more likely you're gonna go up to the second floor. Remember there's this big cutout in the back of the building. So you can't just go to the first floor. You have to go to the second floor. How do you get back down to the first floor? How do you get into this room? You come in this door and then where do you sit, right? Like 1970 was not that long ago, I swear, right? But the Americans with Disabilities Act did make a big difference in terms of what institutions like Ohio State were required to do right so just 20 years prior when Julie was a student she was told yeah you just can't come here we're not built for you can you imagine if someone did that today right can you imagine if you're like here are the things that I need to attend Ohio State University and they're like yeah we're not really the place for you then right it's not okay also shout out to the encyclopedia of Pathbreaking women at the Ohio State University check that out it's amazing Um, And this picture comes from the Ohio State alumni magazine Winter 2019, all about Julie Cochran Rogers, because that's just really darn cool and you should know it. So she went on to graduate with a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in speech pathology. She was instrumental in raising funds for a barrier-free university, was active in public public relations work for Creative Living Incorporated, the first apartment project for handicapped students at Ohio State, She she initiated curb cutouts at OSU and the first two handicapped transportation vans for the medical complex. She made scholarly contributions to her field, is noted for her research in stroke therapies and the development of testing for dyslexic college students. Her work served as a blueprint for aiding dyslexic students at other post-secondary schools across Ohio. And to honor her accomplishments, she was inducted into the National Hall of Fame for persons with disabilities. Okay. I promise you 1970 wasn't that long ago. Can you imagine having to get all your friends to carry your wheelchair up two flights of stairs so you can go to class? I just, hang on, let me just sit with that for a minute, right? Crazy, 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 crazy. So the legislation that prevents this situation from happening is now 30 years old. um, But that is also fairly recent as we're having discussions of getting closer and closer to the age of 30, right? It's not that old, I swear. It's gonna be okay. So one thing to get out of the way first, when you're talking about someone who is disabled or handicapped, this is the Associated Press style, what is the correct way to refer to people who are handicapped or disabled when writing, Um, and this applies in any situation. In general, do not describe someone as disabled or handicapped unless it is clearly relevant to the story. If a description must be used, try to be specific. For example, an ad featuring Michael J. Fox swaying noticeably from the effects of Parkinson's disease drew national attention, right? If it's relevant to the story, sure, go ahead and mention it. But if it's not relevant to the story, it doesn't need to be there. Also, avoid descriptions that connote pity, such as afflicted with or suffers from. Instead, use has, so correct. Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's disease. Incorrect. Michael J. Fox suffers from Parkinson's disease. That is not your call to make. That is his call to make, whether or not he considers himself to be suffering from the disease. In addition to that, I'll make sure this is posted on Carmen as well. Here are some CDC resources for communicating with and about people with disabilities. So the idea here is you wanna use person first language. So emphasize abilities, not limitations, a person who uses a wheelchair as opposed to confined or restricted to a wheelchair or wheelchair bound, right? This gets to be pretty interesting in a hurry though, because some people would prefer person first language, right? Some people would prefer that you say, I'm a patient with diabetes rather than refer to them as a diabetic, right? That's some people's preference. However. Other people may feel that that's a defining characteristic of who they are and they're comfortable with the term diabetic, right? I've heard the same argument for people with autism. Some people with autism feel the fact that they are autistic is not a deficit. It is, you know, it's a characteristic of who they are, but it's not a deficit. And they're totally fine with being called autistic. The point would be ask the person what they prefer. I would always err on the co- side of using person-first language, right? And then if they say, no, it's fine if you call me autistic or it's fine if you call me diabetic, sure, go with that. I would be deeply offended if you said, hey, this is Sarah Rusnak, she's a disabled. I'm sorry, what? Like, yes, I have a disability, but I don't consider that to be the most important piece of who I am, right? So there's your distinction. Focus on person-first language. There's lots of examples here, so it's a lot of person-with unless someone would prefer that uh, you use the term. <laughs> Avoid language that implies negative stereotypes. Person without a disability as opposed to a normal person. Let's, what's normal anyway, right? I don't even know what normal is anymore, nobody does. So there's that, there's the person first language. There's also maybe we should take a more nuanced approach and by maybe I mean definitely. Take a more nuanced approach to how we define disability so the world health organization uses a slightly different approach than the legislation we have here in the united states it views disability as an umbrella term for impairments activity limitations and participation restrictions so basically saying all of these things are related and interact with each other And so it's not that a person necessarily has a disability and that's what defines them. It also matters what environment you put that person into, whether or not that disability actually impacts them. And we'll talk about that more in a second. We're talking about this because people with disabilities report higher levels of unmet healthcare needs and people with disabilities are screened less frequently for preventable conditions. There may be an assumption in healthcare that if you have a disability, you, alt- you automatically have poor health, and that is not true. A disability does not equate to poor health, but a disability does put you at higher risk for poor health if you are unable to access care, if you receive inferior care, or if you go and get care less often, right? So with that, this is the World Health Organization's International Classification of Functioning Disability and Health. What they're getting at here with this graphic is that a person's functioning and or disability is really a dynamic interaction. It depends on other health conditions. So any diseases, disorders or injuries, right? I fell and sprained the bejeebus out of my ankle a couple years ago. And at that point, I was far more limited than I am now, right? So an injury made my condition much worse. Also contextual factors. So personal factors and environmental factors that affect health. So it, it depends, right? If you're a person who needs a wheelchair and you stroll up to Campbell Hall and you don't know that the wheelchair accessible spot is in the back, right? Those stairs are never gonna be accessible to you, right? I'm not sure I would wanna go up the stairs right now with them all wet. They are very slippery stairs, right? That's a risk. So, but if that person's in an environment where everything is accessible to them, right? It doesn't become inaccessible to someone not in a wheelchair to just walk on flat surfaces or have ramps. It's accessible both ways, right? So it depends on the environment a person is in, whether or not that disability is really impacting them or limiting their ability to participate in the things they want to do. So what we're getting at here is that there's, there's more to it than just, the disability itself, the level of activity limitation or participation restriction is really looked at what the person's capacity is, um, what they could do in an idealized setting. right? If everything were made so that a person in a wheelchair didn't have to find an alternate entrance, entrance, right, then their capacity would be as high as anyone else's. That doesn't mean it's a deficit on the person's part, it's a deficit on the built environment right? We have built environments that are not conducive to all people. So capacity is what the person could do if the environment were built to accommodate them and performance is what their current function is in the environment that they're in now. So we got to look at all of these things to try and figure out what, what, how would we really classify the person's functioning disability and health? As far as disability, it's tough in this class I never want to other a group to say that this group we have everybody else and then we have others right and yet we've done a whole day on pediatric a whole day on geriatric a whole day on systemic bias a whole day on transgender I'm not trying to other those groups I realize I run the risk of making that happen what I'm trying to do is say hey by the way when you're working with these groups here are some things you should consider right Take the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, for example. We have Dietary Guidelines for Americans that are probably going to meet the needs of all healthy individuals over the age of XYZ, right? Pick a a category. But if you've been paying attention this semester in this class and others, very often people are not healthy, right? And that kicks them out of that, this is what we'd expect for a healthy individual. Disability is also something that happens very often, right? About 26% of adults in the United, Sti- in the United States, States. Oh, I am so tired, I can't even pronounce words. I had the word, I just can't pronounce it. 26% of adults in the United States have some type of disability, which, put another way, means one in four, right? One in four is not rare. That is very, very common. So. Of the people who have a functional disability, you can see here the um, percentages that have, like we got 13% with a mobility issue, 10% with serious difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions, so cognition. Um, About 7% have a disability related to independent living, hearing, vision, and self-care. Basically, disability is actually a universal experience. It affects nearly everyone without exception. It doesn't matter how much money you make, right? And it's going to affect you at some time in your life. Not you personally, again, I'm not threatening you. But someone in your life, very likely, will experience a disability. Because one in four is a lot of people. You can go to this infographic from the CDC to see more, but disability really does impact all people. um, And we need to do a better job of addressing it in our healthcare settings. So with that, I was able, this is straight up stolen from this this series of slides right here, which are hyperlinked. You'd like to see the original authors of these slides. Dr. Susan Haverkamp is actually um, a researcher here at Ohio State, um, and she's done quite a bit of work nationally on what we need to be doing to better train healthcare providers on working with patients with disabilities. So I went to the source, and this is what she had, and I copied it straight up. This is straight up pure plagiarism, these are her words. Right. Well, technically it's not plagiarism because I cited her, but it's close, right? But she had some good points, so I stole them. That's how education works. Disabilities vary tremendously, right? You can have a physical impairment. You can have a mental impairment. You can have um, any of, I mean, you name it, right? I've got a list, physical disabilities, vision or hearing disabilities, psychiatric mental health disabilities, cognitive and intellectual disabilities, There's, if you say the word disability, that does not mean one thing. And even two people with the same disability can have very different experiences, right? The disability I have, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, manifests vastly differently across people who have it, right, so I can't even tell you that like, I'm representative of all patients. No, I'm not, right, I'm representative of me. So severity, (laughs) severity can vary. It could be very mild, like an inconvenience. It could be moderate, it interferes with some activities. Severe would be assistance needed for activities of daily living. Very severe would be technology needed for survival. So some examples, Um, oh, heaven help me. Amylotrophic lateral sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, where you have progressive loss of muscle function to the point where it's very difficult to breathe, right? If you don't have enough muscle to breathe, you're going to require technology to survive, right? That would be a very severe disability. Very mild, I would say I I fall under the very mild to moderate category most days, right? Typically I can go about my day with just a few supports, a few additional, you know, changes, adaptations. But there are days, oh heaven help me, did I tell you guys this story? I was so close, I was hobbling, I was limping the other day. I was so close to my car, I was almost to the parking garage and the director of athletic training comes the other way and says, oh boy, it's like I can't really hide from the director of athletic training that I am limping on my way to the car, right? I couldn't just be like, oh, "I'm fine, Jimmy." Bot. no, no, no. He got me to my car. I got home. It's fine. So there are days where it uh, it does interfere, but for most part, it's very mild. So the the range, right? The spectrum of possibility there. It could be very mild. It could be completely dependent on technology, or it could be dependent on technology to communicate, right? Augment. Aug- what are those called? Um, Augmentive device- uh, devices. Devices. augmented communication devices, that it is, right? Where you're like looking at a screen, right? And it speaks for you, dependent on technology in that case. Disabilities also vary in visibility. So not all disabilities are visible, right? It could be not at all visible to others. It could be visible to informed others, or it could be visible to all. The point here is not to make assumptions about someone's ability or disability, right? Most days I would fall under the not at all visible to others or visible to informed others, right? If you don't know that these are durable medical equipment, right, then you wouldn't pick up on the fact that this is because I have a limitation for mobility. Or if you don't notice the ankle braces, or if you don't notice the knee braces. Typically, you can't see the orthotics inside my shoes. You can just question my shoe choice, right? Not very stylish, but I can walk. But then there are those where they're completely visible to all. But again, just because you're able to see a visibility or not able to see visibility, I'm so done, you guys. Able to see a disability or not able to see a disability does not mean you know what that means for that patient, what restrictions they have, limitations they have what difficulties they have right so I'm going to pull back for a second and say very specifically right here's my case because I, I actually do have a story that fits here so for example this is what my fingers would do these are not my fingers this is what my fingers would do if I didn't have the silver ring splints they bend the wrong way right So my mobility, my physical therapist describes my mobility as um, my range of motion, the end range of motion is where bone hits bone. Spoilers, that's not normal, right? Your tendons and ligaments shouldn't let you go that far. So with my handy-dandy exoskeleton, with silver ring splints, right, I am much more able to perform activities of daily living because my fingers go the way they're supposed to without going backwards, right? There's a few other adaptations I use to get through my day. Uh, so for example, wait, back up, back up. In the workplace, I have a split keyboard, an ergonomic keyboard. I have a vertical mouse. I should, I should have put that on today, it's hurting. Um, this is called a bullseye splint. Basically, I have, um, I have an old yoga injury from doing downward facing dog, and I pulled this tendon too loose, and now all these bones just pop out at will. It's not helpful, right? So I should be wearing my bullseye splint, but eh, the Velcro gets caught on my clothes. I don't like it end up ripping on my clothes. Uh, in my office, I have a chair from the Office of Disability Services here at Ohio State. That's very specific. Also that keyboard tray is definitely not standard issue. Um, so I got a keyboard tray from Disability Services. Hanging on the back of my chair is a, um, well, I brought it to the lab, but it's a heated blanket, right? I actually use that for pain management But if you don't know that, you just think I'm cold all the time, which is also true. So all those things, with those adaptations in place, I can work a full day. Also, the fact that I'm sitting and not standing. Standing is exhausting, y'all. It takes way too much work. Knee braces, ankle braces, um, my super, super sexy tennis shoes that I wear all the time, which have custom orthotics inside of them. Um, and I do have a handicap parking pass um, because I work at Ohio State and this campus is freaking huge And if I have to walk a half a mile here for class and a half a mile back That's a lot of and en- I've a I have a Finite amount of energy to work with in a day. It sucks But it's true and maybe I would rather spend that energy playing with my kids, right? So I feel like a jerk having a handicap parking pass because most days I can walk but I've got it um, I will note none of these things are covered by insurance. Now the chair and the, the um, keyboard tray and the mouse and the keyboard were covered by Ohio State, but like everything else, the, the braces, the splints, the shoes, paying for a handicap, like none of that is covered by insurance. And that's okay, I can afford it, um, but not all patients would have that option. There's also a lot of things I do at home I have a link here to my very favorite no-knead bread recipe because kneading bread is a horrible idea for my wrists. That would hurt like heck. Um, I also cook very often with quarter sheet pans because they're smaller, so they're lighter, so they're easier to get in and out of the oven. Um, Use the heck out of my stand mixer because this is not a good idea for my shoulder. It's a very bad idea for, for me, actually that just hurt just now, stop it. And then these are some of the tools that I have in my kitchen. So I really like the OXO pop containers because they're much easier to open and seal. I can just push the top and then I have a nice wide thing to pull up. Um, The two things in the front here are for opening jars, right? So jars are not my friend, right? I got married not just because someone could open the jars for me, but also because someone could open the jars for me. But if he's not there, I need an option. So these two tools can work. The, the blue one tends to work better than the black one. The little teeth on the black one don't actually like latch onto a lid. That one's more of a rubberized material. And so you can create like a lever instead of trying to, to grab and turn. Um, that's a mezzaluna up there. So if you needed to chop something into little tiny bits, you can use a mezzaluna and sort of rock back and forth like this instead of trying to chop this way. And then Dyson mats, Dyson. oh my gosh, I have these in, I don't have them in my book bag, I don't think, but I have them in my office, I have them in the kitchen at Atwell, I have them everywhere. Because if I need to grip something, I need help gripping things. You've also seen me in lab, I have like a gigantic Apple pencil grip on my iPad because I need some, a wider grip is always gonna be better for me. Um, so those are some of the things that I have. Again, none of this is covered by insurance. Again, fine, I can afford it, not a problem. Um, but it might be an issue for some patients. And then just because there was talk, what was, it? what was it? What was it, where's Ava? What were you for Halloween that one year? Glam nerd, okay, glam nerd. How did I do at the wedding? Was, did I pull off the glam nerd look? This is, this is the wedding from back in October. Check out my shoes. I am wearing bedazzled tennis shoes because those were the only shoes, you can't see them, but I have my ankle braces on and my knee braces on underneath this, right? So I have a disability, but it's not visible to others. I also didn't wear my silver ring splints because I just didn't feel like it, right? Bad choice on my part. It was really hard to cut dinner, but I didn't do it. So, you know, that's that's my baby sister right there. We had fun. My grandmother got such a kick out of those shoes. It was worth it for seeing my grandmother like enjoy those shoes. So, all right, so let's take me as an example. If you go back to the World Health Organization International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health, I have a disease or disorder that causes my body to be hypermobile to the extreme, right? And that causes me some activity limitations. So I have impairment of collagen, impairment of body function and structure. My body's structures are just not right. And so that restricts how I can participate in things but there are some environmental factors and personal factors I can add on to this to increase what I'm able to do, right? So you've never seen me wear anything but these shoes, right? So it's a matter of the shoes that I wear, the orthotics that I have, the ankle braces, the knee braces, the ring splints, um, the adaptations I I take when I'm in a different place. I would rather sit than stand, standing is exhausting. And if I do all these things, right, which someone else might not need to do, then I can participate as fully as anyone else for the most part, until the day that I'm walking up 10th Avenue and my ankle just gives out and I limp the rest of the way to to the parking garage. I don't even know what happened that day, but it it was not cooperating. So it depends is again, gonna be your answer, right? How much a person is restricted depends on the resources and the support that they have. And if they have a more difficult time getting those resources and support, Let's not even talk about how much time I spent getting these ring splints paid for the first time and navigating all of that with insurance, right? But if they have less access to those types of things, then they will have a greater impairment or greater restriction on their activities. And disability is such a strange concept. I don't like the term disability, but it's the one that we use, so we'll stick with it, right? Take, for example, my glasses. I am nearsighted. I need glasses to see, right? If I didn't have glasses, you would consider me disabled. I wouldn't be able to drive. I wouldn't be able to see any of your smiling faces. Well, I can't see your smiling faces anyway because of the mask. I wouldn't be able to see any of your masked up faces, right? I wouldn't be able to do anything. So am I disabled because I require glasses? Or are glasses so common that we don't even think about that anymore? Like we have vision insurance. You can typically get glasses paid for at least some of the way, right? disability is actually very common but we treat it sometimes like it's the exception right and so the worlds we create the words we use can create barriers for people so with this this is called the icf model the international classification of functioning disability and health you guys can read you can read this later um but this is a sample icf assessment for a patient with a stroke basically it's important to take in the patient's perspective, which may vary greatly from the provider's perspective. So from the patient's side, after a stroke, they may perceive the left arm and hand are weak, don't have normal control over the left leg, get tired by midday, but I'm getting stronger with time. Whereas a health professional may assess the same person with left hemiparesis, left neglect, easy fatigability, dysphagia, good insight into sequelae and current functional status. Right? Neither of these assessments is wrong, right? They're both valuable, but it's important to take into account how does the patient feel about the limitations that they now have, right? How are they approaching this? So you can see um, basically you've got health professional and patient, body function instructor, and then activity and participation. This is um, a whole chart that you could fill out for each patient that you encounter. As with everything, sometimes it's instructive to have a what not to do list, like the worst diet recall of all time. You guys remember that one, what not to do? So do not assume people with disabilities have a poor quality of life. My favorite of all time might've been a person I knew who um, after giving birth, she was, was, um, let me think about this, paraplegic, so paralyzed from the waist down, confined to a wheelchair. And after giving birth, someone approached her and said, oh, I didn't know people in wheelchairs could, uh, uh, get pregnant. You know what they were thinking, that they stopped themselves from saying, right? Don't assume that people with disabilities have a poor quality of life, or don't assume you know what they can and cannot do. Do not assume poor health is inevitable. Don't make assumptions about a person's ability, and this definitely applies to cognitive ability as well, right? Don't assume people with disabilities cannot contribute to their own care, and do not minimize the extent and importance of the patient's expertise in their own condition. I know for my part, I had to learn a lot about EDS because most of my healthcare providers never heard of it. Um, But even if a person isn't masters prepared, worked in research, very fluent in PubMed, blah, 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 right? A person is an expert in the experience of living in their body right? And this is true for all of your patients, right? They are expert in what is going to work for them. So don't discount that. And then here's our, here's our TED Talk, because it's just too fabulous to miss. Let me pull this up here. If you'd like to see this TED Talk that I played during class, just check out the show notes. There is a link to the YouTube recording there. So I pulled that in for multiple reasons, Um, one, it's great, and two, it's important for me to bring in somebody else's voice every once in a while into this class, right? There are other voices that you guys should hear besides mine, so that's a good one. Another voice, too, you guys can read this later. Um, This comes from Carol Gill, published in 1995, which I swear was not that long ago. Um, She wrote a chapter called Psychological View of Disability Culture in a book called Disability, The Social, Political, and Ethical Debate what she did was she went to a group of disabled people and asked them about their strengths, asked them about what they identify as because they are disabled or what they what they consider to be part of their community and this is the list of things she came up with of core values of disability culture and I gotta say if you look at number five um, there's, there's skill to be learned in managing multiple problems, multiple systems, multiple technologies, and multiple assistance. I'm not going to say there's a benefit to having a disability, but I will say for my part, having, you know, again, very specifically me, having Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and not knowing I had it for most of my life. Um, I got really good at adapting to things, right? And that's a skill. I can adapt and I'm also um, somewhat adept at planning for the worst. I've got my winter coat, I've got my umbrella, I have power strips if you need them, I have backup everything if you need it, right? Like this is how I live my life because I expect everything to go south, right? So this is really just to keep in mind, like people with disabilities can be very, very thoughtful about what that is, what that process is like and what that means for their health. So here's your remember this slide. This again comes from Dr. Haverkamp's slides. Um, Disability does not automatically equate to poor health, but it may put a person at higher risk of poor health outcomes if they're not able to get equitable access to care. People with disabilities have healthcare needs like everyone else, right? People with disabilities can get pregnant People with disabilities can have jobs. People with disabilities can do all kinds of things. They can have rich, fulfilling lives. Always listen to, communicate directly with, right? So if you're interacting with a person with disabilities, talk directly to that person, right? Not to the person who's there with them, not to the caregiver, not to the translator, not to whomever, right? You talk to the person you're working with. Whole different ball of wax, but I need a little humorous story to go out on. When I bought my new car, seven years ago, but I don't care, it's still new. When I bought my new car, I was asking the salesman questions as we're closing out the deal. And I would ask him the question and he would turn to my husband and answer. Are you freaking kidding me? I'm buying the car. I asked the question, look at me. I should have put him on blast right then and there. I did not. I did on the like, how did we do in our service? I was like, oh, you're gonna hear about this, right? But that was one person I met once when I bought my car and never saw him again, right? Flip that and imagine this is your healthcare provider and they're ignoring you and they're talking to someone else. Are you likely to go back, right? It's a very different story. Love my car, not a fan of that guy. Respect people with disabilities. You can do that by communicating directly with and not making assumptions about what they are able to do and treat people with disabilities as partners in the care process, which truth be told, all of this list should apply to all of your patients, right? You should always talk directly to your patients. You should always approach them with respect and humility and willingness to learn about them and always approach them with the approach that they are there to take care of their health, right? So they're your partner in taking care of their health. All right. And that is it for today.